Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? I am doing great, Dan. Glad to be here. You're becoming quite the celebrity. I didn't oh, tell really? you this before the show. He's probably like, what? What? Where are we going with this? <laughs> what are you doing? Dude? I was um, talking to someone, <laughs> a rather prominent person behind the camera in the uh, media industry who shall remain nameless this morning, and I swear I am not messing with you. <laughs> the first question was, hey, how's Joe doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Listens to the podcast. Cool. I said, he's his, you know, Elvis-looking self, so oh, yeah. we'll be at CPAC this year if you yeah. want to see Joe. You, you'll know him right away, because if you think Elvis was resurrected from the dead and is walking around the <laughs> uh, the building in the Gaylord in Prince George's County where they hold CPAC, that is Producer Joe. You won't miss him, I promise. Hey, Remember that lady who recognized you right away? Uh, yeah, She's like, you yeah. must be Producer Joe. You look like Elvis. I just grew the sideburns back, too. Big, you know. Yeah, Elvis you need to do that. Room. Although some dude saw your Twitter picture oh, yeah. and tweeted me that you have an earring in the picture. He was stunned by that. Oh. He was shocked by the earring thing. He was like, I can't believe it. I didn't send you that. Oh, I'm yeah. going to have to sun, uh, th- th- search for that email. Uh, I was going to say hunt. So I was going to have to sunt, search and hunt for that email, and I'll send it to you. It's <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. I, I have a big one I wear occasionally and a, a hoop and a cross. And a, yeah, you know. <laughs> dude, man, I love it. <laughs> All right. Listen, I got a lot of crap I got to get through today. <laughs> There's so much going on. Number one, I got some feedback on the tax show and uh you know we have a super smart audience mm-hmm. uh really smart and forgive me because sometimes i i um i bring things up that are wonky and i don't think you understand them at some point so i may over explain them so a couple questions here's what i did here was the gist of it i have been trying to make the point for the course of a couple days now and i did a facebook video on this yesterday which is up to almost four hundred thousand views which is insane by the way wow. maybe over that by now where i explain the tax bill you're free to watch and i did a couple shows explaining the tax bill so we're not going to redo any of that but one of the points i've been trying to hammer home which i think is critical for any conservative listening to this or libertarian or someone who believes in economic liberty that is your money. It's not the government's money. And you you owe them no explanation whatsoever for asking to keep the money you worked for. You get up in the morning and you work for it to put it in your wallet to benefit yourself and your family. You pay enough money as is. We can pay for our military. We can pay for our court system. You don't owe them another dime. And one of the arguments I've been using to rebut this entire stupid Democrat talking point about how deficits, tax cuts are going to cause deficits, is show me where it's happened. Mm. Now, we've said this multiple times. I produced a tax table uh, from a tax policy center, or whatever, which is, by the way, uh, I think it's a product of Brookings. So it's a little bit of a left leaning outlet. But I, it, the numbers are accurate, though. And I produced a tax table and I said, go to the tax cuts, the significant tax cuts in U.S. history, 1964, 1986, 2003, and show me afterwards where the government lost money. You can't do it. Hmm. Now, one of the other years I pointed out, which our, our very smart listeners caught, was 2001, which was the initial Bush, Bush tax cut. I assumed... I don't want to say this sounds in a, a pretent- really pretentious and, and horrible. I assumed a lot of people knew what I was talking about, but they didn't. That's my fault. And I, I, I let me correct it. If you do, if you look after 2001, yes, tax revenue did dip after 2001. But the 2001 Bush tax cuts, folks, were, were not the rate cuts were 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 set into the future in 2006. The 2003. Bush tax cuts simply moved up those 2006 cuts into 2003. The point of the whole thing I'm trying to tell you is the tax cut happened in 2003. 
The 2001 thing was a refund, was simply a stimulus refund check, which is not going to impact the economy positively like a permanent tax cut. Do you see what I'm, you see what I'm saying, Joe? Be the equivalent yeah. of Joe, you saying to me, you are, you're king for a day, Joe. You get to do whatever you want. You say, I'm going to cut taxes, Dan, but I'm going to do it in 2024. All right. And everybody goes, wow, look, the tax cuts Joe implemented in 2017 didn't do anything. Well, of course, because it didn't happen until 2024. Okay, yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. In 2003, Bush came back to the table and said, you know those tax cuts in 2001 I said were going to happen in 2006? They're going to happen now. And then what happened after 2003? Tax revenue went up. That only buttresses the point and advances the point and builds on the point that what I'm telling you is true. That tax cuts historically have not resulted in in any way, shape, or form in a decrease in revenue. So thanks to the listeners who pointed that out. But that's that that only you see how that advances the ball, Joe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they cut taxes yeah. in 2001, but they said it's going to happen in the future. And then when they moved it up to 2003, tax revenue went up. All right. Um, so good point. Secondly, I got a couple of questions about the tax chart. And they said, look, that tax chart you put out, which is accurate. It's by, I, I put it out because it's by a left-leaning institution, by the way. So no lefty's going di- to di- try to discredit it. Well, they shouldn't if they know what they're talking about. They said, look, in the tax charts, it shows a Clinton surplus. It, it shows more money coming into the government as receipts than outlays. Yes. Yes, but this is the point on this I've always tried to make. That surplus for those receipts, folks, was not from income tax revenue. The surplus was from a surplus in Social Security. Now, I'm going to post today. This may be the second or third time I've posted this, but it is a please, 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 I'm begging you to read this. It is an excellent blog piece by a guy named Craig Steiner. It's called The Myth of the Clinton Surplus. It's I don't want to say it's long. It's a medium, above medium, above average. Well, medium would be. It's above above average in length, but it is incredibly easy to read and incredibly detailed and provides actual United States government website links showing conclusively that the Clinton surplus you're seeing is not a real surplus. It's an accounting gimmick. Here's the gimmick, folks. The Clinton years, and I want to put this out there, I, I, the Clinton years government spending was relatively controlled. I'm not knocking Clinton and Newt Gingrich for not spending a lot of money. Does this make sense, Joe? Yeah. I'm simply trying to tell you that the myth that there was ever a government surplus during those years is not true. And Steiner in the piece points it out that it's an accounting gimmick and it requires you to not understand the difference between public debt and intragovernmental holdings. We're like, what? Now you're getting crazy. Yeah. Here's what happened. We had some really good economic years during the Clinton presidency that had a lot to do with welfare reform, control of government spending, and Bill Clinton's own statement, Joe, at the State of the Union. You remember this? The era of big government is over. Yep, I remember it. Bill Clinton said it, folks. Uh, because he's a Democrat, doesn't make that statement untrue, okay? <laughs> I'm not applauding him. I'm just saying that's what he said. And in in many respects, government spending was constrained. Okay, we had some booming economic years. What happened in those booming economic years? People pay payroll taxes, too. These are not income taxes, folks. You pay a FICA distribution, you pay a you pay Social Security and Medicare on your income tax bill now. On excuse me, on your tax bill now. It is not an income tax. It's supposed to be your Social Security money, which it's not. It's already been spent. Right. What happened in the mythical Clinton surplus? 
people because the economy was booming, Joe, if you're making $100,000 and it's a percentage of your income up to a certain point, Social Security, were paying tons of Social Security money that did not have to be distributed out to the population as a benefit. I don't know if that made sense. Okay, so yeah, let's say I'm with you. You're with me. Okay. Yeah. The United States had 100 people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 80 of them are working. They're all paying Social Security. In the Clinton years, before the baby boom population exploded, mm-hmm. there weren't that many people. Well, there were, but there weren't that many people given the amount of money coming in that needed the money. So what happened to the money? If a billion was coming in and only 800 million was being paid out, I'm making the numbers up and I'm trying to make it easy. That leaves a joke, air quotes here, surplus of $200 million. But it wasn't a surplus, folks. It was supposed to go into the Social Security Trust Fund. You remember the, the lockbox, Joe? That's, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. The Social Security surplus was used to purchase government bonds, which were rapidly sold off, and the money was spent. It was not a surplus. It was your money that was supposed to be put in a lockbox that was spent to pay down public debt. There was no surplus. Joe, does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you yeah. sure? Yeah. yeah. Because I, I, yeah. I get a ton of emails. So what you're seeing in receipts on that tax chart I put out, and I'll put it, you know what, I'll put it again in today's show notes, the tax chart. What you're seeing in receipts are not what the government took in from income taxes to finance its operations. It's what it took from you mm-hmm. and your social security money that you're supposed to be getting in 10 and 20 years. That's the joke of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will put the uh, Clinton surplus, the myth of the Clinton surplus blog piece in the show notes today and up at Bongino.com. If you subscribe to my email list at Bongino.com, as always, I will email it to your inbox. Read it. There is no way after reading this piece you will ever believe again that there was any such thing as a surplus in the Clinton years. He did great on some aspects of the economy. Mm -hmm. Government spending did fine thanks to Gingrich and him. But saying it is just simply not true. But I applaud uh, the the uh, the listeners of the show for pointing that out. Really great job. One more thing to debunk. A couple more things uh, since I did the tax show. A couple people have emailed me and said, wow, their liberal friends said, yeah, Reagan cut income taxes to 70 to 28 percent and income tax revenue to the government went up and general tax revenue went up. It almost doubled. But Reagan raised taxes too, man. You know, after they smoked a few doobies or something. Yeah. You got the dude. Play the dude. We need the dude. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, (laughs) your opinion, man. (laughs) That was the dude after a few doobies. Smoking a roach there or something like that. Folks, do not do drugs. I never did drugs in my life, okay? Don't do drugs. One lady emailed me once at her kids list. Kids. Dude, trust me. Dude, it will ruin your entire life. Don't do drugs. I know I know having some really horrible experiences with family members. Don't do that very serious stuff. <laughs> yeah. But True. I know I shouldn't joke about that stuff. But I can't get enough of this because it's like liberals, whatever you say, um, you know they're immunized to facts and data. They've clearly taken the facts vaccine when they're kids. They always have a comeback, and the comeback's never true. And and that's the that's the advantage of being a liberal and debating. No matter what you say and what evidence you produce, they will produce a counterpoint not based in fact. Now, Joe, you and I are fairly limited mm-hmm. in our responses because we're based on the data set we're responding on. Do you see yeah. where I'm going with this? We, like, if yeah. We rely on facts, yes. Yeah, and that's but that's a limitation for us. It is. Because yeah. I can only say what the data allows me to say. If you, cho- if you ask me something 
you know, like, well, you, you know, Reagan did a, a Martian landing program in, in 1984. And I, I can't argue back because I don't know anything about that. And there's no facts and data about it. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me about the data set on taxes after Reagan cut taxes, I can show you conclusively the tax revenue went up. But that's all I can say. Uh, making a causal inference is difficult. I can certainly make a correlational one, but not a causal one, as I described yesterday in the show. The problem I have is when you lie and you make things up, you can come back with anything. Well, Reagan raised tax. Reagan did. They are actually factually correct about that. There were taxes Reagan raised to make the tax code more clean and fair. Joe, he wanted the distribution on capital gains, the capital gains tax, Mm -hmm. to marry up with the income tax. So just to walk through what happened in the Reagan years, because liberals are, are either confused or lying, I... Most of them are the latter. Reagan cut the top rate from 70 to 28%. In order to prevent people from taking then their income as capital gains, the capital gains tax rate, Joe, was 20% at the time. Reagan said, to be fair, we should marry those two rates up, Joe. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're going to cut the top income tax rate dramatically from 70 to 28%. But to make sure people don't kind of arbitrage the situation and then change their income to capital gains, which was taxable at 20%, he said, let's, I don't agree with the decision at the time, but he said, let's raise the capital gains tax to 28%. Yeah, I remember Your that. Your point, and this is what liberals do, Joe. They take one point and they extrapolate one true fact. They Reagan raised tax. That's what did it. That's what led to the increased tax revenue. And they extrapolate false information, hoping you're too stupid to look it up. What are you going to do? I don't know, Donnie. What are you going to do? Here we go. Here's the data. Because, again, we do data here. You want to do nonsense? Go listen to some kooky liberal on. Go listen to Pod Save America or whatever. (laughs) Whatever that kooky show is. They do well. Congratulations on their success. I'm a capitalist. But I'm sure the show is full of nonsense. Reagan's capital gains tax, he raises it for hike. He raises it from 20 to 28%. So liberals, just to be clear, your assertion here is that the Reagan tax hike led to the increase in government revenue. You're telling us the tax cut had nothing to do with. Joe, Reagan hate raises the capital gains tax from 20 to 28%. Capital gains tax revenue goes from 52 billion to Anxiously awaiting this higher number that's supposed to account for the doubling of tax revenue. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. You, re- you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thirty-nine billion. Thirty-nine billion. So it was fifty-two billion, and it goes to thirty-nine billion. Ladies and gentlemen, please explain to me how a capital gains tax hike that dropped the capital gains tax revenue from fifty-two billion to thirty-nine billion accounts for an increase in tax revenue to the government after a income tax cut from five hundred billion to nine hundred billion when Reagan left office. Please explain to me how that happened, Joe. Mm. I'm, 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 I'm serious. Can you please mathematically explain to me how hiking a tax, mm-hmm. which cut revenue, mm. you hiked the capital mm-hmm. gains tax and yeah. you lost money from it, how that leads to an increase in tax revenue to the federal government? Can you give me any reasonable, plausible explanation that our liberal friends would understand? No, Dan, I don't think I can. <laughs> no, 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 of course you can't because it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absurd. And it's another example of, again, what liberals do. This is why, folks, you have to be super savvy debating these cats because they're manipulative liars or they're dopey i'm sorry they just don't know what they're talking about or they do and they take one fact and they extrapolate information that's untrue hoping you won't notice where the where the break between truth and fiction starts yes reagan disraeli tax that's true and they lost money 
So how in it, it, how the heck a tax hike on capital gains that lost money could in any way contribute to the explosion in government revenue after the income tax cuts is a is just nonsense. But Joe, I promise you this, it will do nothing to stop these maniacs on the left from continuing to use that silly talking point. Yeah. All right. Here's one more that I got. Uh, People email me this stuff all the time. They say, well, you know, my friends are saying now um, this is kind of semi related to this. This is off the tax topic for a minute. But someone said uh, in an email that my friends are saying that. You know, look, the Obama, uh, the Obama stock market, this is their new talking point. Now, the Obama stock market went up a lot. It went up dramatically. And this is indicative that of the fact that Obama laid the groundwork for economic success and that Trump had nothing to do with it. Uh, Folks. Uh, yeah, I, I know. It's, it's insane. Point number one. We do not measure economic success for the United States collectively as a country by the stock market. Mm-hmm. Right. Joe. Why would you think that is? Now, let me ask you a question. I'll ask you a simple question. I'm going to set you up. There's a ground ball here. Yeah. Is WCBM where you work, right? Mm-hmm. Are they listed on the NASDAQ? No. <laughs> it's not a trick. Are no. they listed on the S&P? No. No. Are they listed at all? No. Okay. They're not because it's not a publicly traded company. Exactly. Yeah. Folks, the reason we don't measure economic success, if you're smart, by the stock market is the stock market, the Dow Jones, the S&P, the NASDAQ, whatever measure you want, the FTSE, whatever measure you want to use, okay, is a sliver, a, and I mean a sliver, an infinitesimally small measure of a few relatively wealthy companies that their success based on their future net present values being measured. And I will caution anyone, I... I, I I've been a little guilty of this, and I'm I'm starting to retract them because I want to be fair. Mm. I would caution anyone as well to Trump's economic success, by the way, at this point is unquestionable, in my opinion. But get away from the stock market stuff. You see where I'm going with this show? Yeah. It's a dumb measure. It is a sliver of what's going on in the economy, number one. And number two, the companies it does measure, which are a sliver of American business, the overwhelming majority of American businesses, small businesses, mid-sized businesses, even large businesses are not on a stock exchange. The stock exchange and the stock exchange measure going up the Dow has nothing to do with them. Don't do it. Don't attribute it to Trump. Don't attribute it to Obama. And I'm not just saying that because it went up under Obama. And this is like, now I'm just giving you ammo for an attack. I mean it. Stock markets go up and stock markets go down, sometimes regardless of the overall economic success going on. Some, most of the time, they do go up when the economy is succeeding for obvious reasons. So that's point number one. The stock market is a sliver of the American economy. Point number two, Joe, the stock market is nothing more than a present-day measure of future optimism. Yeah. That's all it is. When you buy stock in a company, an ownership stake, you buy a 1,000 shares of you know, Joe's Mousepad factory, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, and he goes public. You own a portion of that company. That's right. They're equities. That's it. You own equity in the company. Now, that may be 0.001%, but it, regardless, you own it. Mm-hmm. That's what stock is. When you're buying that stock at that value, you're buying it oftentimes at a multiple of what you think the future revenues are going to be. 
You're not buying it on what the profits are today. Mm-hmm. Most people on what do you say? Buy on the rumor, you know, sell them when it sell them when it comes true, right? When it happens, right? Most people are buying on the future profits. How can I? I mean, it's relatively easy to prove. Just watch the Dow Jones. You know, a rumor comes out that you know Apple's working on the iPhone 72, and it's got space transmission technology. It can send you to Mars in a pod tomorrow. And it'd be ah, oh, this is I can go to Mars. All of a sudden, Apple stock goes through the roof. Why? They haven't sold one product that has space transmission technology. That's why insider trading, by the way, is such a big deal. Insider trading is such a big deal and a crime. Because that insider trading is, if you know something, a secret, that's going to increase the future value of a company, you buy the stock now. You don't wait till tomorrow. The point I'm trying to make is that the stock market went up so dramatically under Donald Trump in their first year, 5,000 points, in my opinion, because all of the the pent-up goodwill under the Obama years, people were holding money, I mean with the companies, not with Obama, Companies that were holding money now see a positive expansionary business environment and are pouring it in there, are pouring it into these companies. And that's why the market's going up. Now, a fair retort would be, and I know, Joe, you're probably thinking this now. It's probably, well, okay, well, wasn't there optimism in the Obama years too? No. How do I know that? Just look at the surveys. Don't ask me. Mm-hmm. Don't take Dan Bongino's opinion. Look at the National Federation of Independent Business. Look at the, the, you know, the, the manufacturers associate, all of these people who put out surveys. Look at the surveys under the Obama years for business optimism. They were in the can. They're now at record highs. So, Joe, your fair follow-up should be, okay, you still haven't explained them why the stock market went up under Obama. Yeah, that's hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. Folks, optimism was down under Obama. The reason mm-hmm. the stock market went up is because of loose Federal Reserve policies. And I get it. A lot of you liberals, oh, you're just looking for an excuse. It was Obama. It was not Obama. Companies themselves were afraid of what was going on. Look at the surveys. Look at what the companies said. They, Folks, they had nowhere else to put the money. Our central bank, the Federal Reserve, had driven interest rates into the ground. When they drive interest rates into the ground, Joe, how are you going to get a return on your money? Let me ask you something, Joe. If the interest rate is close to zero Mm -hmm. and you put $100 in the bank and Mm -hmm. you're getting zero or 0.1 interest, whatever it may be, some nonsensically low interest rate Mm -hmm. because of our central bank, the Federal Reserve, driving interest rates down to keep loose money. Are you making any money at the end of the year on your investment? No, that would suck, Dan. That would suck. That is a professional economic analysis of the highest order. That would suck. You're right. It requires no additional analysis. If interest rates are low and you can't, it's it's called chasing yield. Yeah. Seeking alpha for you geniuses out there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's chasing yield. Companies that had money on the books, which they did under Obama, that now they're spending under Trump, had to do something with it. What are you going to do? Burn it? They didn't want to keep it in the bank, so they had to chase yield because the interest rates were so low, there was nowhere else to put it. So what did they do? They went and bought other companies or bought stock in other companies. Oh, you think I'm making that up? Look at the level of investment in non-residential products. In other words, forget about housing for a minute. Look at the manufacturing. Look at the levels of investment under the Obama years. In the can, folks. The can historically low levels of investment yet 
In other words, what companies should have been doing with the money, right, Joe? Investing it in their companies and their workers. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in a growing economy. The Obama years, historically low numbers of investment. But look at what was really high. Mergers and acquisitions. So companies that refuse to invest in their company and growing their product lines and selling more products because the economy was a dud just said, all right, what are we going to do here? All right, we got a bunch of regulations we have to comply with. I got an idea. Joe's mouse pad factory. Let's buy Bobby's mouse pad factory too. We can combine lawyers. We can combine accountants. We'll save some money. Are you going to be producing anything new? No, no, mouse pads, just more of them for because we have two companies. There was no productivity enhancement out of it uh, whatsoever, except for getting rid of the regulations and red tape across two companies instead of one. Look at the numbers. The stock market went up because they had nothing else to do with their money. So they either bought stock, inflating the price of other companies, or they just bought the companies to get rid of the regulatory load. Does this make sense, Joe? Yeah, yeah. All you got to do is look at the numbers, folks. That's it. The numbers speak for themselves. Anything liberals tell you otherwise, disputing the numbers are nonsense. I remember shows about this almost a year did, and a half you ago. You do, right? Yeah. yeah, we we did a exactly. If you've listened to our library, we did an entire show almost on mergers and acquisitions going yeah, yeah. through the roof under the Obama years and investment in the can. Right. Because it was nothing else to do with the money. Now the stock market's going up based purely on the numbers. Based on business investment, which is spiked just under Trump. Based on uh, economic optimism, based on surveys. It's not my opinion. Look at the surveys. I just put the CNBC article in yesterday's show notes about economic optimism through the roof. Where it wasn't under the Obama years. You see what's so frustrating about arguing with libs about this stuff? Yeah. They just make it up. I promise you, you tell this to your liberal friends, they'll have some other nonsense story. I I guarantee it because they live in a fantasy land. They live in a fantasy land where they just fabricate things left and right because they don't want to face the reality that their entire, everything they've believed in, everything they've been told, everything that they have passionately fought for for so long is categorically false. I sympathize with you. I do. I know it hurts. I get it. It must be tough to be a liberal and to finally come to grips with facts and data and how the real world works and how everything you believed in so passionately in this messianic figure in Barack Obama has been utterly refuted now by history and the presidency of Donald Trump. I know that's got to be a tough pill to swallow. You're only human. You're not robots. I get it. You have emotions. You believed in this guy. You heard his speeches. You want to believe liberalism's for the little guy. And you're helping people out. And government's this, this saving grace and this benevolent philanthropic force in people's lives. But everything you believe has been false. It is not true. We tried this under eight years of Barack Obama and crushed our economy. We crushed dreams. We crushed lives. We destroyed jobs. We destroyed investment. This happened. This is not an X-Files story. This is not a a Teddy Ruxpin tale, an Aesop's fable. This happened. This really happened. The data shows it if you just open your eyes. You do not have to be a Trump worshiper. You don't have to even be a Republican to know what I'm telling you is true. You want to stay a Democrat? Work to change your own party. But I'm telling you right now, and I'm going to leave it at this, everything. And I mean 
everything you believed in is wrong. All right, today's show brought to you by our buddies at FilterBuy. Um, thank you to everyone who supports our sponsors. I sincerely mean this, folks. You have made our podcast uh, one of the most successful homes for advertisers. Uh, Joe knows this. They love us. Uh, but it's because of you. I mean, I can only buy so many air filters and Field of Greens bottles and stuff like that. It is you. Uh, if you're ready to change your air filter, you know, we just had a change of seasons. You probably have a lot of pollen, a lot of mold, a lot of allergy aggravating pollutants stuck in that air filter. I told you my story about when I moved in. Yeah. I love the guy. He's a great homeowner. But he, I don't think he changed the air filter. The house was built in 2003. I don't think he changed it since 2003. The thing was black. It was supposed to be white. It was so caked. Forget about it. Nothing got through this thing. I think this thing was bullet resistant. You could could have put that air filter in as a trauma plate on your bullet resistant vest and it would have it would have deflected five 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 six ammo Forget that's how cake this thing was <laughs> yeah right the yeah. thing was nasty i should have taken a picture of it filterby.com is the place to go for your air filters these guys are great let me give you the reasons let me lay it out number one they use double the industry standard merv rating what does that mean to you it means it's going to clean out far more efficiently all that crap out of the air the pollutants the pollen the dust the allergy aggravating nonsense you get in the air double the industry standard merv rating they produce their products right here in America. They ship within 24 hours when you order the filter. They can ship to commercial locations too. You have 50 air filters in your factory? Go to filterby.com. You have two air filters in your house? Go to filterby.com. They Right here in America, and the shipping is free, by the way. They build them right here in America, ships within 24 hours. The shipping is free. Please support our sponsors, folks. These guys are great. Americans are spending up to 90% of their time indoors. Candidly with me, it's probably more. Seriously, it's probably 95. You're breathing nasty, polluted air. Change that air filter. Just get the size. Go to filterby.com. They got them all. Don't you worry about it. And here's the deal. Set up auto delivery, which is great. You want them once a year? You You want them once every two years? You want them once every six months? You want them once every month? You want to keep your ears, your air absolutely clean? Go to filterby.com, set up auto delivery, you'll save an extra 5%. What a deal. Filterby.com, that's filterby.com. Go change that dirty, stinking air filter today. <laughs> and thank you to everyone out there who supports this, this company. They're a great company. I got on the phone a while with them, uh, a while ago with them, and they're, they're, they're terrific. I really like them. So they're committed to customer service. Filterby.com, that's filterby.com. All right. Here's a story I've only been holding on to now for four days because it's so good. Um, but there's just been a lot of pressing news. We had the tax bill pass. Uh, yeah. You know, there's just been a lot of breaking news. Uh, so it's it's tough. The uh, there was a governor's race in Virginia and New Jersey. They always have these off cycle elections in odd years. So 2017 was their governor's race. Most of you know uh, we had the, uh, the the near socialist in New Jersey win, Phil Murphy. And uh, we had Northam win in, uh, in the Democrat in Virginia. Now, I saw this article. I think it was up at Hot Air. I will put it in the show notes today, please. Ed Morrissey. Yeah, it is Hot Air because Ed Morrissey wrote it. Please read it. It is so good. It's short, sweet, easy to read to the point. I try not to post too much wonky stuff um, because, you know, if, if I have wonky stuff, I'll make it like a, a, a secondary piece, not the primary piece. That way you can set up the premise first. So this, the Democratic governor uh, down there, the, the governor-elect Northam, is shockingly, Joe, made a, you know, listen, hats off to the guy who never vote for a Democrat, frankly. I mean, unless the Republican was absolutely horrible. But he made a shockingly bipartisan, non-ideological decision recently about the path forward in Virginia. And if you're a Virginia resident, listen extra close. But if you're a resident anywhere around the world, listen extra close, too, because I think that some 
Democrats are finally waking up to the destructive eight years of Obama and how awful Obamacare was. Here's the story. He has decided, the Democratic governor-elect here, to not expand Medicaid in Virginia, which was part of the Obamacare. Remember, folks, the under Obamacare, mm-hmm. one of the things they did with Medicaid, which is a government-sponsored uh, health insurance program for poor people that they don't pay for. You do, but they don't pay for it. The Obamacare legislation expanded it to people in some cases and families up to you know 400% of the poverty, poverty line. That you were, you could, in some cases, it depends on assets versus income. What you know, it, it it was income dependent. I explained this in an earlier show. If you if you had a if you had a lot of assets, you you were in some ways eligible to get a program designed strictly for the poor. Bottom line is this, Joe: it expanded Medicaid into people who were questionably poor by income standards. Okay. Okay. Now, Republican, a lot of Republican states, including Florida, where I live, said we can't do that. Because even though the federal government is going to provide up to 90% of the funding, which is irrelevant, folks. Why do I say it's irrelevant? Because who pays the federal government? Oh, you do. It does. It's your money. Whether it comes from the state or federal government, frankly, it's largely irrelevant. It's coming from your pocket, right? Mm-hmm. So they said, well, the federal government's going to provide up to 90% of the funding. So the states were like, well, we should take that. What a gravy train. Yeah, bring it on, babe. Well, a lot of Republican states said no, because even at that 10% of the funding, it phases out in the future and Medicaid's growing so rapidly, the budgets, it used to be 10% of the Florida budget. Now it's 30, that even that a little bit of extra amount they were paying in contrast to the federal government is too much. So here's the problem with this. And this goes to show you again, how I'm going to open up that file, Giorgio, and I frequently have to uh, have to go into mm-hmm. of stories about liberals that indicate that not only are they not helping the poor or helping you, that they're actively kicking you in the teeth as you try to get up off the ground. This story is a perfect indicator of as why now as why as as to why I was not aware of some of the data that Ed Morrissey puts in this hot air piece that'll be in the show notes. Here it is. There's been research coming out, and this is one of the reasons, to be clear, why the Democratic governor-elect is saying no can do on the expansion, Joe. The expansion of Medicaid from poor people into basically lower middle class folks who could probably afford insurance on their own, Joe, is crowding out poor people. Now, crowding out is an economic term. What does that mean? Well, the best analogy is a visual. If you're in a room packed full of people. And that room of people has no room. It's hit the fire code, Joe. 200 people in the room, no more. And you say, we're going to help the 200 people in this room. And you pick them. And they're all people who are very poor. And then all of a sudden, you start saying, oh, you open the door and you go, hey, guy, what do you earn? I earn 60, 70,000 a year. You're not really poor. You know, I get in the room. We'll help you, too. Well, what happens in the room, Joe? It can only fit 200 people. Mm -hmm. So there's a door on the other side. What happens? Someone's got to leave. Right. So one poor person leaves. So now you have 199 poor people, one uh, one middle class guy. All of a sudden, you let 10 more middle class folks in. 10 more poor people have to leave. You can only fit 200 people in a room. Now you're down to it. You're down to about well, you know, 180, 170, 160. You get the point. You go down and mm-hmm. down and down. All of a sudden, you're down to you know 100 poor people and 100 middle class folks. That's what's happening with the expansion. Now, why? This is critical. I love stories like this because it always shows the futility of liberal politics. What's happening, Joe, is the expansion costs were 60% higher than the projections, meaning they had projected, they said, oh, you know what? These middle class folks were allowing into the room, Joe. Mm -hmm. They're not going to use these taxpayer funded health insurance services as much as the poor people. 
because poor people may be sicker. They may not have had access mm. before um, that. You know what? They'll be a little cheaper. So they they factored in that the expansion people, Joe, were going to cost four thousand eight hundred and seventy five dollars per person in twenty thirteen. What are the actual costs for the middle class people being let in the room for what should have been a poor person's program? The actual costs are seven thousand four hundred and thirty six dollars per person. Mm. Almost double. Mm -hmm. Not real. Almost double. Folks, that's that's dramatic. Joe. So we have these these middle class people being let in the room, right? Yeah. They are now costing twice as much as was anticipated to pay to give them, quote, free health care. So the money has to come from somewhere, somewhere, Joe. Joe, if they're letting the middle class people into the room and giving them the benefits of the room, yeah. who do you think is being exited out of the room? And where do you think the money's coming from the pockets of go? I think that would be the poor people, Dan. You would be right, Joe. The poor oh. people. It is coming from <laughs> the poor people. Bingo. Ding, 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 ding. So when I say it's crowding out poor people, this is the joke, the sad, mm. tragic, disturbing, disgusting joke of liberal politics. Again, they pretend to help you. Look at what we're doing. Look at what we're doing. We are expanding free health care, which is nonsense, to people making 400% in some cases of the poverty line, sometimes middle class, sometimes even more than middle class people. Look at the help we gave them. Uh, what about the poor people who are kicked out of the room who are now losing benefits and being crowded out of emergency rooms because usage of emergency rooms and other places is up by middle class people who could have paid for health care on their own? Let's not pay any attention to that, folks. No attention there. Pay And now, now let me give you the liberal comeback. Because as I've said to you over and over, it's a scam. Liberalism is a scam. They have a comeback for everything. And by the way, it's never true. By the way, I'm in for Levin tomorrow. I'm going to cover more of this. So please All listen. Right. I'm filling for Mark. So I know you'll listen. Um, the liberal scam now is Joe. Here's what happened. The middle class people we gave the Medicaid expansion to, there was just, quote, pent up demand, meaning they were all getting ready to die all at once. Mm -hmm. And so we gave them health insurance and they all rushed to the emergency room. And went, that's where the extra money came from. Uh, wrong again. <laughs> of course, always. The projections now into 2022 of the cost of these middle class folks who were given Medicaid that should have been going to poor people. Because remember, Joe, the pent up demand theory. Yeah, it's just garbage. Assumes this is a one-time cost, right, Joe? They all rushed to the emergency room. They had the flu. Now they're all good. And don't worry, folks. Costs are going to come down, and we're really going to start giving that money back to the poor people. All right. <laughs> eh, wrong again. <laughs> the projections are now, through 2022, that the costs will be 10% higher than they are now. And they were almost double what they were before. Oh, man. Every day. Every day I get up. Where is someone in the media? Please cover this story. Please, because it, it, it just, it never ends. It never, li, li, every time a liberal tries to help you put on a bullet resistant uh, vest, go put on a football helmet and get your elbows and knee pads because you are about to get, you're about to get cracked. You're about to get slammed <laughs> over a head, over the head with a policy baseball bat that I promise you is going to hurt. It never, now you wonder why a former secret service guy would leave his job to run for office. This is it. 
because I ju- I feel like I've got this gift of gab thanks to you. Then you allow me you allow me to talk on this platform. But I feel like my I. I, I I have to explain this stuff this way because I have to explain it to myself this way to try and find some ounce of logic in progressivism. Man alive. Gosh, these people get suckered all the time. (laughs) This is amazing. Program to help the poor. Yeah, but the poor are getting kicked out of emergency rooms because middle class people are running into the emergency room and now they can't get doctor's appointments. Uh, Yeah, it was pent up demand. Yeah, but it's not. The man's getting even worse and even more people are getting kicked out. Uh, you're a racist. Oh, okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> there there you is. go. Yeah. You're a racist. This is buddy Tom Moore used to say. We haven't said that in a while. I mean, you know, I wonder if Tom's family would let us get a clip of that. I'm going to ask Hannah. That would be so great as like an ode to Tom Moore. He was the radio host that Joe used to know. He was a cranky old guy, but yeah. he was the best, man. He just, he's filling for Levin. He would tear it up, man. And he had that a was way of saying it, too, didn't he? Oh, you know? he's, I can't. I do it no justice. That's why yeah. <laughs> I, I really wonder if they would let us do that. I mean, I get it. You know, he died. He passed. Um, and uh, But he used to, yeah, and he'd go on. <laughs> it would go on forever. It was the greatest thing ever, man. He used to take those calls from like Melvin and remember those guys on <laughs> yes, the radio? That was funny stuff, man. All right. Uh, today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Brickhouse Nutrition. I'm, I'm telling you, folks, I can't, uh, I can't say enough about Field of Greens, their new product. I can't. The stuff tastes great. I mean, I, I was expecting it. I asked Miles from Brickhouse Nutrition a while ago to put this product together. The reason is, I almost asked him as a personal favor. He preferred moving with Dawn to Dusk and Foundation, which they did. And those are great products. One for energy, one for general physical appearance and you know performance in the gym. But I said, Miles, listen, I am an absolute believer in this growing superfood movement. I am, folks. I believe the the next revolution in nutrition is going to be micronutrient technology. Here's what I mean by that. There are chemicals in food that we don't know about. We don't. There, nobody can break down entirely every single micronutrient or chemical in food. No, we discover new kinds of of of, of uh, you know enzymatic reactions in these. I'm not trying to get all wonky, anymore, but I'm telling you, there's something about food. There's a reason, you know, wine drinkers tend to live longer. There's a reason that people eat voluminous amounts of fruits and vegetables. There's and folks, we just don't know it yet. We might in the future, but I am absolutely convinced the key to health in the future is eating the rainbow, man. I don't mean go outside and like lick a dewdrop outside. I mean eating every single color fruits and vegetable you can. Thank you. Yeah, because that might that might scare some people. All right. You you want red? Go get an apple or get a cherry. You want blue? Go get a blueberry. You want purple? Get a blackberry. You want more red? You want orange? Get a tomato for the lycopene. Folks, you've got to eat this stuff. It is the absolute key to feeling better. Plus, you're, I, I can't even tell you what it does for my stomach. I am always like your 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 uh, your biome, your the bacteria in your stomach. It has inulin in there. All these, and that's by the way, that stuff's being linked to everything. Better mood, better digestion. Go try this stuff out. If you can eat all these fruits and vegetables too, I do. I eat every day uh, dried blueberries, carrots, but I take my field of greens twice every day. I mix it with green tea and a little bit of collagen. It is terrific stuff. Go check it out at BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Let me make one final pitch to you folks because this is good stuff. I absolutely, passionately, personally believe in this. I'm putting my own credibility on the line for this product. I mean it. I asked them to do it. I begged them to do it and they did it. 
the new year's coming up. A lot of you are going to get new year's resolutions. Some of you are going to start diets. Some of you are going to go to the gym. Make this a staple of your new year's program. Servings of fruits and vegetables every day. And that way, if you miss them or you just want to supplement, you take a scoop of this stuff, you put it in juice, put it in water, put it whatever you want, put it in your protein shake and you're good. It's great stuff. Feel the greens. Go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Check it out. Okay. Uh, quick final story for you, folks. Uh, Democrat governors um, are freaking out. This tax bill, now that it passed yesterday, it hasn't been signed yet by Trump, but it will be, barring some catastrophe. This, will, this is now the law. They're freaking out. And I want to bring the story up because Joe lives in Maryland, and mm-hmm. Joe is my official uh, Dan Bongino show representative in Maryland, also the executive producer. And the Republican governor in Maryland is uh, also freaking out, but in a good way. Right. Um, there, let me give you some uh, some quotes from a Wall Street Journal article today about about what's going on with the Democrat governors. These are real quotes, by the way. Uh, they say, you can figure out who needs the most tax reform by the decibels of protest. Amid other apocalyptic warnings, New York Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo last weekend declared that the GOP bill's limit on the state and local tax deduction will trigger an economic civil war between high and low <laughs> tax states. Yeah, it gets better. California Governor Jerry Brown is likened Republicans to mafia thugs, while Mr. Cuomo calls the bill a dagger at the economic heart of New York. <laughs> By heart, he apparently means the state's top earners who pay for Albany's ever higher spending. Folks, these people are losing their minds. Now, what's happening right here? What's happening is the Democrats in deep blue states are finally waking up to the fact that their incredibly punitive high taxes they impose on specifically their high earners, their most successful people, are now going to hurt and hurt bad because the – and let me be crystal clear on this, folks, regarding the tax bill. And if you want a full explanation, watch the Facebook video I have yesterday. It's on my Facebook page of the brackets and how it will impact you. But maybe we'll do that show again next week or so when it, after everything passes. But – New York and California have unbelievably progressive tax codes. They rely almost exclusively on their most successful citizens. Now, here's another quote. Why is this killing them, Joe? From the Wall Street Journal piece. The problem, talking about the problem of high state taxes, by the way, they are in this piece. The problem is more acute when you consider that the top 1% of earners, Joe, pay nearly 50% of state income taxes in California and New York and 37% in New Jersey. States may experience significant budget carnage if high earners defect. Folks, think about what I just told you. One out of every hundred residents, the most successful ones of New York and California, pay 50 cents of every dollar of state taxes. Wait, what? Where's Spidey? What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. What is right? One out of every hundred people pays 50 cents of every dollar in state taxes. What does that mean? That means that now those state taxes they used to be able to deduct from their federal tax bill will now be limited to $10,000. If you're paying $100,000 or a $1 million to California in taxes, Joe, Mm -hmm. you're now not going to be able to deduct that from your federal tax bill. Why are they freaking out? These freaking out because they know that the exodus from these high tax states, which has been dramatic already, Joe, mm-hmm. 
is only going to get worse now that these people see no financial advantage whatsoever in staying in these blue states. They are going to get hosed. I am not, listen to my friend who emails me from New Jersey, I am not celebrating the fact that some people are going to pay more taxes at the federal level. I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth. That this was a benefit for blue tax states that hurt people like me in Florida. I don't want you to pay more taxes, but I don't pay state taxes because we don't have one down here in Florida. So why someone in New York gets a benefit on their federal tax bill that I don't have access to is candidly unfair. I would have rather them cut the income taxes enough that it wiped out, Joe, Mm -hmm. what's happening to rich people in blue states because I don't want you to pay more. We we clear on that? Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened because the Democrats would not get on board. The Democrats insisted on going through reconciliation and making the tax cuts expire. Folks, I'm telling you right now, do not let the Democrats turn the tide on this. It's the Democrats' high tax policies in blue tax states. That's the reason you are paying the tax wallop you're paying now. It has nothing to do with the federal government. It is them. You want to Andrew Cuomo, Jerry Brown, you want to fix it? Phil Murphy, the new governor, uh, soon to be governor of New Jersey, the socialist. You want to fix it? There's an easy way to do this. And Governor Larry Hogan, the Republican in Maryland, has already pitched it. Joe, get ready for this. This is a crazy plan. You ready? Yeah. This is dramatic. I don't know if you're going to be able to handle this. This might be intellectual overload for you and the audience. Larry Hogan has proposed crazy idea of Joe cutting state taxes to make up the difference. (gasps) What? Play Spidey again. What? What? Oh my gosh. You mean now your state taxes were too high, so you're not going to get a deduction you got before that other states didn't get. So Governor Larry Hogan, I'm very serious round of applause, I'm not being sarcastic, has decided this crazy idea that maybe we should look at cutting the state tax load. Elizabeth, <gasps> I'm coming. He's coming for you, Elizabeth. Oh, He's coming Elizabeth. for you. Right? He's, he's, he's actually racing ahead of Red <laughs> Fox in this one. He's coming for you. Folks, to Governor Cuomo, uh, uh, Governor Brown, Moonbeam, go call Larry Hogan, get on the bat phone today, and try this revolutionary idea of cutting your state taxes. It'll help. All right, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Please go to Bongino.com. Subscribe to my email list. It helps us get this information out to you. Thanks. See you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.